What's poppin' East Lansing? You're listening to the Spartan Red Zone, where we cover everything Michigan State football. Once again, I am your host, Dan Tyler. Now, the agenda for today is similar to last week's. If you tuned in, we're going to start off with a breakdown of our win against Indiana. Three key stats from the game. Each unit's grade report from last week. Any questions or concerns that I myself or other people may have after last week's victory. Five helmet stickers going to the five best players, in my opinion. A quick interview I had with tight end Josiah Price. A preview on next Saturday's matchup against Purdue. And then a few final words of my own. So let's jump right into it, as usual, with the breakdown on the Indiana victory. So the Indiana Hoosiers came into town last Saturday after a resounding 44-24 to victory over Penn State. And they had showed off their offense the previous week and weeks prior to that, and there's no secret coming in that they had a fast-paced offense. However, it shocked myself and many Spartan fans on how quickly they hit pay dirt on Saturday. Only 61 seconds into the game, speedster running back Tevin Coleman broke free for a 64-yard touchdown run, silencing a crowd of over 73,000 on homecoming. Not a great start to the game. And as like the Iowa game previously, Michigan State's offense had another slow start with two straight three and outs. Uh, however, just like the Iowa game, they tied it up early in the second quarter with an 11-yard pitch and catch from Connor Cook to running back Jeremy Langford. This would just be the beginning of a huge day for Langford. The Spartans then established a run game on their next drive before Cook connected with Benny Fowler on a very impressive catch and run for 34 yards and a touchdown. But then again, Indiana comes back, a quick strike offense, with Trey Roberson passing to Cody Latimer, tying up the game at 14 apiece. Now, this drive was made possible by an unfortunate muffed fumble by McGarrett Kings on a punt giving them the ball on our own 41-yard line. So they had a short field to work with, and you can't give an offense like that 41 yards to work with. They're going to hit you fast, and they're going to hit you hard, as they showed right there. However, our offense continued the pace of the team as Cook completed passes to five different receivers and even picked up some yards on the ground en route to their third straight touchdown, this time a Langford rushing touchdown. Now that ended the scoring of the first half with Michigan State going into halftime leading 21-14, to still looking a little bit shaky, not exactly the first half that we wanted. But we kept the offense rolling, opening up the second half with another touchdown drive. This one was another Langford rushing touchdown from two yards out. And this drive was also made possible keeping it alive with a 39-yard catch-and-run by tight end Josiah Price, who you will hear from later on a big 3rd and 11 play. Once again, however, the Hoosiers struck back with a touchdown of their own. Receiver Shane Wynn receiving a little shovel pass from 2 yards out. Now, this team again just struck us back quickly, answered another one of our touchdowns to put their offensive speed in perspective a little bit. Michigan State's previous touchdown drive I mentioned was nine plays, 75 yards, and just under five minutes of time, four minutes and 57 seconds to be exact. And Indiana's drive with that Shane Wynn touchdown was seven plays, 72 yards, in two minutes and 16 seconds. And to go even deeper into that, Indiana's first three touchdown drives had an average of only one minute and 35 seconds. Now, that 61-second opening drive definitely helped to bring down the average, but still, remarkable speed in scoring touchdowns, especially compared to Michigan State's first three touchdown drives, which had an average of 5 minutes and 12 seconds. Now, this this may sound bad at first, you know, seeing that we have, you could take it as us having a lack of speed compared to Indiana or anything, 
But this is actually probably huge for our defense. It helped give them plenty of rest. They're playing against the fastest offense that we have faced all season. You know, it's got to gas some guys, but when you have an average of 5 minutes and 12 seconds to drive and your offense is putting up points on the board, it really gives some of those guys a chance to take a deep breath, rest, game plan a little bit, and get ready to go out and try to stop them on the next drive. So that was big for our offense to step up like that. Now, Michigan State again increased the lead to 14, scoring on a touchdown on their fifth consecutive drive. Very impressive there. Another Jeremy Langford rushing touchdown who broke free for a 32-yard run. Now, this was his fourth touchdown on a day. A career high for him. Very impressive. Huge day for Langford. And we kept it rolling. In the the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter, R.J. Shelton, a freshman, received a little end-around play for a 34-yard touchdown run. And this was a drive made by all true freshmen. It started off with Delton Williams, a true freshman running back I've been talking about for the last couple weeks with a 37-yard rush, 37 yard rush, excuse me, which really opened it up for Shelton to show his speed on the outside and break one out for a touchdown like that. Now this essentially wrapped up the game with Michigan State up 42-21. to They let up a, a garbage-time touchdown to Trey Roberson. Nothing to worry about. Finishing the game, winning 42-28 to on homecoming. A very solid win for the Spartans again. Now, I said on my show last week that this was a great week for Cook and the offense to continue their momentum after they found some rhythm in the victory over Iowa, and they did not disappoint. Putting up 473 yards of total offense, which is the most of any game this season, barring a 547-yard outburst excuse me, against FCS opponent Youngstown State. Keep in mind, they're an FCS opponent. Their offensive attack was impeccably balanced as you know they racked up 238 yards rushing and 235 yards passing. It doesn't get too much more balanced than that. Um, and then on the defensive side, despite letting up the most points of the season, the defense was stellar yet again. They contained a strong Hoosiers offense nationally. You know, People may look at that and say, oh, you let up 28 points to Indiana. That's not very impressive. But for the Big Ten fans, they know that this – This Indiana team is no joke this year. They have a real fast-paced offense. They have a real legitimate offense. They go up against Michigan this week. I expect them to garner a little more attention. I think they're going to, you know, they may not beat Michigan, but I think they're going to go up and put some points against them, and it'll prove to everybody that, you know, the Big Ten's got a little bit of flash as well. They have some, some flash, excuse me, in this team, and that's an impressive performance by our defense to contain them how they did. The special teams unit also was impressive. Uh, the freshman Geiger, although did not attempt a field goal, which is an ode to how good our offense was, um, but was 6-for-6 six six on special points, and then Mike Sadler had some booming punts to go with it, was a special teams Big Ten Player of the Week. So another a great overall win for Michigan State again as they continue to roll through Big Ten play, just keep on picking up momentum. They're looking good. So now let's get into the three key stats of the game. The first one I have here is the number 7.7, as in the average yards per rush of the freshman running back, Delton Williams, playing in his second game of the week. If you tuned in last week, you know this is my boy. I've been talking about him the last couple weeks, and he has come in, and he has not disappointed. Um, I believe he's the missing piece of this offense, and it's absolutely no coincidence that the offense has looked good since he has been in the lineup He finished with 12 rushes for 92 yards against Indiana. Uh, He had a long rush of 37 yards, which is rare for, you know, a tough physical runner like himself. He's not exactly the speedster. 
Um, and he really helped fellow running back uh, Jeremy Langford put up career-high numbers. It helps Langford out a lot, and it helps offense out a lot to have a second running back in there to help Langford carry the load a little bit and just adds a whole new dimension. Keep looking for him to continue to improve. This next week will only be his third game suiting up in pads as they took the red shirt off him just before the Iowa game. He's looking good. Our offense is looking good, and I think it's no coincidence that our offense started looking good as soon as he was implemented into the plan. Now my next number, or I should say numbers, are 23, 109, and 3. And I know I'm cheating again using three numbers this week. If you remember last week, I used three numbers that corresponded to Connor Cook career highs and passing numbers. This is a very similar instance. These were career high rushing numbers for Jeremy Langford, the 23 being carries that he had, 109 rushing yards, and then three rushing touchdowns. Once I said, as I said again, all career highs for Langford. He helped pace this offense to 238 yards rushing, as I mentioned before. Um, on top of the three rushing touchdowns, he also added a receiving touchdown. An overall impressive day for the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. He is starting to look really good in this offense, starting to look really comfortable, and this rushing game is doing wonders for Connor Cook in the receiving game as well. So can't say enough about Jeremy Langford's game and the running backs as a whole. Now, since I already cheated and used three numbers, I might as well cheat again and use two numbers for my third and last stat. Those numbers would be 259 and 351. Now, Michigan State fans have come to expect a lot of this defense in the last few years. They have been among the best in the nation the last few years under Narduzzi. He's a great defensive coordinator, and this season is no different. But looking at this game at a quick glance might disappoint a few fans. You know, giving up 28 points to Indiana doesn't look great. And uh, those numbers 259, the number 259 corresponds to the passing yards that Indiana amassed against us, and 351 was their total offensive yardage. Again, that doesn't look great compared to some of the numbers that we have held offenses to this season, but something that a lot of people don't know is that Indiana entered the game against us, ranked ninth in the nation in total yards per game, and 10th in passing offense, and they were averaging 346 yards per game through the air. We held them to 259. Minus a few big plays, these numbers could have been considerably lower. If you look at their total offense, they had 351 yards. Um, they only had uh, 92 yards rushing, and 64 of those yards came within pretty much the first minute of the game on that Tevin Coleman 64-yard touchdown. You know, So you do the math, they only totaled 28 yards on the ground the remaining 58 minutes and 59 seconds of the game. If you ask me, that's incredibly impressive and this is not again as I've mentioned some people may not look at it they see Indiana they've been really bad the last few years I think this team is rejuvenated they have a very impressive offense and what our defense did against them was equally as impressive if not more impressive we held a strong offense to season low numbers and I expect that Indiana is going to continue to put up big numbers the rest of the season and it'll it'll make this game look better in the long run so let's move on to the grade report. So first for the offense, I'm giving the offense A- minus in this week's game, or last week's game, excuse me. Now I said last week after their victory over Iowa that the offense looked better that game than it had all season, again, barring the Youngstown State game. But they topped that this week, which I couldn't be more happy about. Now this was as balanced, as I mentioned, an offensive attack could be with 238 yards on the ground and 235 through the air. Langford 
Definitely helped that out with a career career day. Had 120 yards of total offense and four total touchdowns. Again, 109 of those yards were rushing with three of those three of those touchdowns, rushing touchdowns. Fellow back, as I've mentioned, Dalton Williams added 92 92 yards on the ground. Connor Cook was efficient yet again, completing 22 of 31 passes. For 235 yards and two touchdowns, he did have one interception, but that came later in the game on a tipped ball. Not too much he can do about it. Another great game by Cook. He's really benefiting by the the surgence of this new running game that we've got going on, which has helped out the offense. I can't even describe how much it's helped out the offense. If you've watched the game, you can tell. Uh, Tony Lippett finally came to play a little bit, led the team with six receptions, had 64 yards, you know, even we had freshman R.J. Shelton, who D'Antonio has been mentioning. He wants to get involved a little bit, let him show his speed out there. He had a 34-yard end-around touchdown in the fourth quarter. It just seems like this offense continues to find momentum, continues to put new younger guys in the right places, and these younger guys are stepping up and proving why they deserve to be on the field. It's exciting for what is to come, and I believe that there's no reason why they cannot keep this momentum rolling and rolling faster against Purdue next week. Now let's move on to the defense. The defense I gave a B plus, and now that's me being pretty tough with grading this week. And you know you got to be tough on the number one defense in the country a little bit. Um, you know a B plus, most people would think is great. I think this could be an A plus defense every single week. Um, you know they. They held one of the top offenses in the nation to season lows in passing offense and total offense, and after that Coleman 64-yard rushing touchdown, they completely shut down the run game. Um, however, they still put up season highs on MSU's defense in, not, in um, passing, rushing, and total offense, along with first downs. They had 19 first downs on us. Um, those are season highs for letting up against uh, Michigan State's defense, which is unfortunate, but again, it is one of the best through the first half of the year, at least, one of the best offenses in the nation. So you can't be too tough on them. Despite that, Michigan State's defense still ranks first nationally in total defense, allowing only 228 yards per game, and rushing defense, allowing only 58 yards per game, which is just ridiculous and will come into play as they play more physical Big Ten teams like Michigan, who like to really establish that run before they get their offense rolling. And now moving on to special teams. Special teams, I gave a B. Um, you know, the only thing you can really take against the special teams was the McGarrett muffed fumble on a punt because that led to an Indiana touchdown. They got the ball on our 41-yard line. They had a short field to work with, and you just cannot give an offense like Indiana's a short field to work with. So that was unfortunate. Other than that, it was as good as a game you can ask for from your special teams. Geiger was 6-for-6, as I mentioned before, on extra point attempts. Didn't take any field goals because our offense was efficient enough to find the end zone every opportunity we had. Mike Sadler was the special team's Big Ten Player of the Week and was just incredible. Averaged just over 59 yards per punt, which is great. Had a 69-yard punt, which is just unbelievable. I remember my jaw dropping, looking over at other people in the press box, their jaws were dropping. Booming punt. He continues to improve. Geiger is a true freshman continuing to improve out there. So those two guys are looking good. If we can 
just hold on to the punts a little bit. Three out of our five fumbles, unfortunately, have been on muffed punts. If we can figure that out, our special teams is definitely a force to be reckoned with. At the very least, we'll be consistent throughout the week. And going back to last week's victory over Iowa with the Mike Sadler fake punt proves that if D'Antonio's feeling it, we can call a little trick play and these guys will deliver it. So we have a great special teams unit and they just continue to look solid along with other both other units, the defense and the offense in Big Ten play. Not much to complain about here as a Michigan State fan. But speaking of complaining, if I'm going to complain, you know, I, I already mentioned the muff punt problems. That's three of five fumbles for Michigan State this year were on fumbled punts. You know, that's just giving offenses, uh, opposing offenses, I should say, a short field to work with. And, you know, we have a great defense. We have a phenomenal defense, but they're not perfect. And if you give an offense a short field to work with, that makes their job that much harder. And they're already doing enough for our team this season. You know, just try, we got to make it a little bit easier on them, try to pin teams back a little bit and just don't hand over the ball to them deep in our own zone that can't be happening anymore um but I already mentioned that I'm not going to go into that too deep another big problem that is facing the Spartans on both offense and defense is penalties so last week's victory over Indiana marked the second time this season which is not good that the Spartans have had 10 penalties in a game 10 which is absolutely unacceptable the other the other game they had 10 penalties against was Notre Dame, which obviously is our only loss of the season. We had 10 penalties for 115 yards that game, which is you, you just cannot give a solid team like Notre Dame 115 free yards like that. Penalties are going to happen, but a lot of these are personal foul, 15-yard penalties, and you cannot give up free yardage like that in big games. You know, we got away with it this week against Indiana, we had 10 penalties for 100 yards. Indiana's a good team, but they're not a great team. It was a good win, don't get me wrong, but when we play Michigan, when we play Nebraska or Northwestern, those kind of that kind of penalty yardage is just not going to fly. They will hit you, and they will hit you quick, and they will make you pay for giving them that free yardage. And that is something that has to stop because we cannot afford to give up free yards like that in the big play in the excuse me in the big games down the road but enough complaining it's all smiles over here a big win for Michigan State last last uh, last weekend so let's get into the helmet stickers now first we got to start with Jeremy Langford uh now I don't want to beat his numbers to death but 23 rushes 109 yards and four total touchdowns has you thinking about Le'Veon Bell a bit. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that Jeremy Langford is going to be a workhorse, all-American potential running back like Le'Veon Bell this season, but he has emerged as, you know, the number one back and then one of the elite backs in the conference. You know, there's there's few running backs I can think about that have had the kind of season that Langford has had, and he is continuing to get better. He's the Big Ten pl- Offensive Player of the Week, We'll see if he can keep it rolling against Purdue. All I got to say is Jeremy Langford, ooh, kill him. Ooh, kill him, Jeremy. <laughs> now let's move on to a little bit of special teams. Speaking of being named the Big Ten Player of the Week, punter Mike Sadler was this week's Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week, as I mentioned before. He only had four punts, mainly due to the Spartans' offensive success. Just like I said about Geiger not attempting a field goal, our offense was incredibly efficient this week, so he 
didn't have much work to do, but when he got in there, he flourished, averaging, as I said, 59 yards a punt, which included, as I mentioned before, a 69-yard punt that pinned Indiana at their own four, but he also had a 68-yard punt for a touchdown earlier in the game, showing that that 69-yard punt wasn't a fluke. A 68 and a 69-yard punt in one game, that's pretty incredible. You're not going to find many punters, not just in the conference, but in the country that can do something like that. Delton Williams, I guess the third one, his second straight, is only his second game playing for Michigan State, and his second straight week getting a helmet sticker from me. I know he can probably uh, barely contain his excitement, but as I said, this is my homie. In only his second game, and he just continues to show why the red shirt was pulled off of him, averaging 7.7 yards a carry, being a tough physical runner, ripping off a 37-yard run. He and Langford continue to grow together, and he has solidified himself as the thunder to Jeremy Langford's lightning. Yes, that is a reference to Javon Ringer and J.U. Kolkrick back in the day, their thunder and lightning they had going on. You know, Hopefully they can keep on playing well, keep on playing well together, so I don't sound too dumb for making that comparison because that was a great running back tandem we had. But I think, you know, they continue to show exponential improvement. There's no reason why they can't improve, excuse me, against a Purdue Purdue team next week. And, you know, we'll see. The sky's the limit for them right now. My fourth helmet sticker going out to Tony Lippett. Uh, Mark D'Antonio said after the game that Lippett's been playing with, quote, a chip on his shoulders as of late. And his numbers are starting to show it. You know, he's struggled early in the season, but he had six catches against Indiana, which matched the total catches he has had the previous five games. So obviously something is going on differently. Um, That led the team with those six catches, led the team. And, you know, hopefully if he can continue to show a little bit of consistency, he can be just another weapon for Connor Cook. You know, Connor Cook has shown that he's, he's getting comfortable with Benny Fowler and McGarrett Kings. If you can add Tony Lippett into that mix, and there's still always Aaron Burbridge in there, you know, then all of a sudden this offense that people have been ragging on all season might start to look pretty intimidating. And if you can add that on top of the defense that we have, who's saying that we can't compete for the Legends Division title? You know, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Maybe I'm just a little too excited after two big victories. So let's move on. And the fifth and final helmet sticker, you got to give some love to the defense, goes to Denikos Allen. He led the team with eight tackles, two of which were for a loss, also had two quarterback hurries, and overall was just the leader last week on this defense that held a powerful Hoosiers offense to their worst game of the season. Um, he continues to pace this defense all season, leads the team with tackles with 35 and tackles for a loss with, uh, I believe, five, yes, five and a half tackles for loss on the season. You know, the, it, the numbers aren't astounding if you look at other numbers in the Big Ten in terms of tackles and tackles for a loss. But you have to also keep in mind the people that he is playing around. He is playing around elite defensive players, more elite than any other big-time player has to compete with in the conference. So those tackles are going to get taken up. When you're a linebacker and you've got 35 tackles, you got to compete with uh, Max Bolo on the other side amongst other people grabbing tackles from you. It's not easy to amass amass excuse me a large amount of tackles in the season and he is leading this team and is doing a great job of leading the number one defense in the nation so now we're going to get into my interview with tight end josiah price 
Uh, now, unfortunately, we couldn't find a time for him to make it on the show, so we just did a quick recording after one of their practices. Um, just a short little, about five-minute interview, and I'm going to just go ahead and play that right now. I mean, first off, I, uh, I just saw the depth chart for this week, and you listed as a starter among three other people with Dennis, Glycart, and uh, Lyles. What's it like, um, you know, with four guys all kind of neck and neck in the race, uh, competing every practice and stuff like that? So what's that like? Um, I think it uh, it keeps us all on edge, I think. I think it keeps us all focused and uh, determined to do our best every day and know that it's not like it's not my job, it's not Glyke's job to lose. It's none of our jobs to lose, all our jobs to earn. Um, and I think it just gives us that mindset to bring that works man's attitude every day and come to work and do your very best. And as I think every day in Brax, we're fighting for reps on Saturday, depending on how well we do. We get more looks on Saturday or less looks on Saturday. So I think it's been that way all year, I'm pretty sure. So it's been, it's been a good, it's worked for us so far. So you think it's overall helping push you guys like to your fullest extent? Yeah, I think it, it definitely helps push us. I mean, I feel the pressure that every day I got to go there and perform at my absolute best to stay at the top and stay up right in there in the mix with everybody else, or else you'll be fall behind if you start making simple mistakes. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, uh, last Saturday, obviously, you had a big third and 11 catch for 39 yards, uh, taking it to, I believe, like the five yard line or something like that. You know, what was going through your head when you uh, turned around, you caught that ball, and you had that much space around you? Uh, I was kind of surprised. Usually, when you go across the middle, Big Ten, you aren't going to catch it wide open. Um, I don't know if that was blown coverage by them or just a good play call by us, but uh, it was a little surprising for me, but for sure, but it was a great feeling uh, making a big play on third down, and uh, I think that led to a score, which in gave us a bigger lead so yeah, it was definitely. fun 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 big first play for me definitely yeah it was a big i mean it led to a, i believe a langford touchdown yeah, another put the shoulder one. down chucked so, a few guys it was cool to see for sure that was a big sure. um now you so you were a red, red shirt excuse me last season uh what do you think were the biggest things you learned as a red shirt last year that helped you kind of step into more of a, a bigger role this year and a growing role this year as a tight end um, I definitely think last fall I learned a lot of just having to play fast at this level where I'm from. I'm from a little tiny town in Indiana called Greentown, and the football level is not near the volume it is up here. <laughs> um, so just the speed and the physicality of the game was a huge uh, adjustment for me last fall. I had to really try and get used to that. And then when Coach Bowman came in in the spring, uh, he really helped me learn a lot of different techniques with my blocking to really help me. Because I think last fall I was way behind in blocking, and there's no way I could have blocked on a Saturday last year. Um, and Coach Bowman's come in, and in that spring of my redshirting freshman year, uh, I really learned a lot of things and made a lot of strides and improvements from day one to day 15 of spring practice. I think I improved two to three times as a player. Um, so I think that spring was extremely valuable for me, and just the whole year redshirting and all. There's no way I would have been able to play on a Saturday last year, and now I've been able to be somewhat successful on Saturday so far. So I think uh, for me, I was able to learn a lot of different things. Definitely, definitely. And uh, last question: um, Have you noticed any kind of uh, greater type of morale or anything like that around the locker room and in practice after these last two games, where the offense has started to pick it up? You guys are starting to look pretty smooth in Big Ten season. Yeah, I definitely think. Uh, as far as morale-wise, I mean, everybody has all faith in us now. I mean, before we'd always talked about, like, we know we got the ability, we know we have the potential, but, I mean, now we've showed, we've showed it on Saturday.
Excuse me there, it cut out a little bit, a little bit of technical difficulties there. But as Josiah Price was saying, they're getting confidence from all over, not just from fans and coaches, but the offense, or excuse me, the defense is now confident in the offense's ability to step up and give them some points when they really need it. So thank you again to Josiah Price for taking some time to talk to me after his practice last week and good luck to him and the other tight ends on their battle. It's not the only battle there is in town. There is a four tight end battle right there and also good luck to that offense to keep improving. So let's move on now to the Purdue preview. So these Boilermakers coming to town on Saturday at a meager 1-5 and five on the season, 0-2 in the Big Ten after a pretty embarrassing 44-7 loss last week to a Taylor Martinez-less Nebraska squad, meaning no Taylor Martinez. Um, they have well-documented struggles on both sides of the ball through the first half of the season, ranked 119th in the nation in rushing yards per game at only 77.8, 121st in points scored a game at only 15.3, And on the other side of the ball, they're ranked 117th in the nation in points allowed per game at nearly 38 points allowed. Now, to put that in perspective a little bit, there's 123 teams in the FBS. Ouch. You know, that's pretty bad when you're there in the cellar of the FBS in some of those rankings. So, you know, that's not good, especially going up against a defense like Michigan State's Not good news for the Boilermaker fans. The lack of success can be chalked partially up to the youth of their team. Last week against Nebraska, they had eight underclassmen start on offense. Six of those were at skill positions. And five of those six skill positions were filled by freshmen. Uh, On top of all this inexperience, they also have an inexperienced coach. Daryl Hazel in his first year at Purdue after coming from Kent State. Uh, His tenure at Kent State... I don't think was too phenomenal either. They had an overall record of 16 and 10. He did lead the Golden Flashes to an 11 and 3 record last season. I just think that you know you can't. I don't think you're ready to make a jump from the MAC to the Big Ten after having one spectacular year like that. Um, if I was looking for a head coach in the Big Ten and was looking to the MAC, I would try to find somebody who had more continued success rather. Then one five and seven season and one eleven and three season, uh, you just didn't give him a chance to show any kind of consistency. Um, but I don't want to rag on Purdue too much. Let's get a little bit of things they've been doing well. Um, speaking of freshmen, that freshman receiver D'Angelo y- Yancey has been pretty remarkable thus far. Uh, he has back to back hundred yard receiving games and had one hundred forty six yards last week against Nebraska, which topped any other receiver in the Big Ten. Uh, they also have one of the best corners, I believe, in the conference in Ricardo Allen. He has two picks thus far this season um, and also leads all active players in the country right now with four career interceptions returned for a touchdown. So watch out for that ball hawk in the secondary because if he gets a ball in his hands, he's making some moves to try to make it to the end zone. Um, one last bright spot for the Boilermakers is the closeness of recent matchups between these two teams. Now, they haven't played since 2010, but the last two matchups had MSU winning by a combined seven points. That sounds a little bit like uh, Michigan State's losses last season. Don't want to bring up any bad memories, though. But on top of that stat, five of the last seven matchups between Michigan State and Purdue have been decided by one possession or less. So they have managed to make it close in recent history. 
But the simple point is that this is a matchup between one of the worst offenses statistically in the nation against one of, if not the best defense in the nation. You don't need to look too much into that to figure out what will probably happen. And then on top of that, Purdue's defense isn't pretty either. So I think they're going to have a tough time against one of the hottest offenses in the uh, conference. Um, You know... The lack of offensive production and the occasional turnover woes for Purdue has given opponents' offenses shorter fields to work with. As I mentioned, with Michigan State not being able to let up muff punts and short possessions like that, you know, they even have less of a leash because they don't have the defense like Michigan State has to back them up in those in those occasions. Um and this, and then for Purdue as well, going on to the other side, this will easily be the toughest defense they've faced all season. So I see no reason why their offensive lack of production and their turnover woes will stop this week. It should be worse, if anything. And then also after these last two weeks, I have absolute confidence in our offense to score when handed good field position. Um, they were phenomenal in the red zone when they had the ball in the red zone if they weren't scoring from outside last week against Indiana. And this is a similarly not not a great defense, as Indiana didn't have a great defense. So look for Michigan State's offense to continue their success and capitalize on a lot of potential good field position situations. Um, I think this should be a blowout. I'm going to call it 48-9, Michigan State. That's right. I said 48-9. I really believe that this defense will be stifling, creating all the opportunities in the world for our offense. And as I said, after these last two weeks, I have all the confidence in the world in our offense to to score when handed the ball like that. And I think that the defense will hand them the ball in those good situations. So once again, 48 to 9 might be a bold prediction, but 48 to 9 Michigan State on Saturday. So let's wrap this show up with my final words. Now this week, I don't have anything to say in my final words about Michigan State. I spoke about Don Treadwell last week and, you know, what what should be done about him. Um, it doesn't even have anything to do with the Big Ten. I'm turning my focus this week onto the Heisman watch lists out there and mainly to do with my man, Johnny Manziel. Now, looking at ESPN, 13 out of the 16 quote-unquote experts, and I'm using that term as lightly as possible, voted for Marcus Mariota out of Oregon over Johnny football. Now, looking at the numbers solely, Johnny has over 100 yards passing and just edges out Mariota in rushing. He also has a 73% completion rate compared to Mariota's 60%. You know, uh, Mariota does have six more total touchdowns and is yet to throw an interception. Don't get me wrong, it's impressive. I'm not trying to hate on Mariota. I think he's a great player. But just when you look at the competition that they have played compared to A&M, I think there's no contest, and I think that Johnny's numbers are far more impressive. You know, A&M has already had to play Alabama, the team that is widely considered the king of college football right now, and Johnny didn't disappoint that game. He put up 464 yards passing and five touchdowns, added 98 yards rushing on the ground. You know, this dwarfed his numbers that he put up against Bama last season, and most people cite his game against last season as the game where they realized this guy should be the Heisman Trophy frontrunner and should possibly win the Heisman Trophy. So if he's putting up better numbers against the team this year, I see no reason why he shouldn't be leading the Heisman frontrunning. I think that he will continue the play. I've, he's the most exciting player in college football this year. 
He's always unbelievable to watch. The things that he does on the field are just confusing sometimes. I don't understand how he does it, and it's phenomenal. Also take into account that he was suspended for the first half of their first game against Rice and then got a little uh, overzealous, was having a little too much fun, taunting other players, and ended up getting pulled out of that game early. So, you know, he's almost missed a full game out of only six games in the season, and with these numbers that he's put up, I think it's phenomenal. I think he is even doing even better than he did last year when he won the Heisman as a freshman. So there's no reason why he should not be a front runner. And now one last thing before I sign off. I know this is a college football show, but I'm going to delve into the NFL really quickly. Bear with me. If you've been checking the news on the Lions recently, Ndamukong Sue has been fined yet again. $31,500 this time for a hit he had on Brandon Whedon last week in their victory over the Browns. I'm not sure how to describe this fine other than the word atrocious. Um, just absolutely atrocious is a good word for it. He's just completely being fined on his reputation, which I already think is blown out of proportion unbelievably. Uh, don't If you don't want to take my word for it, just go ahead and Google Ndamukong Sue's hit on Brandon Whedon. It will come up. He did absolutely nothing. It was the most routine football play you will ever see. He rushed in, essentially just pushed down Brandon Whedon right as he was throwing the ball, releasing the ball. No late hit, no helmet-to-helmet contact, no egregious kind of going for an injury kind of play, just absolutely a normal football play. I don't, you see plays like this, you know, at least 10 times a game. Any kind of quarterback hurry, if a defensive end, defensive tackle, anybody gets their hands on the quarterback as he is throwing the ball out, you will see plays just like this all the time. And because on the back of the jersey it says Sue, he's getting fined $31,500 for it. You don't see this happening to J.J. Watt. You don't see it happening to any other elite defensive lineman in the NFL. They're just giving it to Ndamukong Sue because he has this reputation of being a headhunter, of being a dirty player, going out there trying to injure players game in and game out, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Some of the plays that his reputation has been built upon, I see no problem with. Last season, playing the Texans when they... uh, he was allegedly attempting to kick Matt Schaub in the groin. was ridiculous, I think. Two seasons ago, he had a hit on Jay Cutler. Again, another normal football play, in my humble opinion. He gets fined for that one. You know, he was recently just fined $100,000 for a play which was a little dirty, stupid, unnecessary. And I agree, maybe fine him a little bit. He got a penalty on the play. That took away a touchdown, which I think was punishment enough. But then you add $100,000, the biggest fine in NFL history with a player not losing any playing time. That's just ridiculous. So I think Sue should definitely look into appealing this. If you watch ESPN, even the experts, again, I'm going to use that term lightly, but even they are scratching their heads. The same people who have tried to crucify him on air, they're scratching their heads asking, "What? where's the foul on? They didn't even call a penalty on the play. Where's the fine coming from? They are just, I don't know, if Goodell just wants his money. 
or if they just want to have a bad boy in the NFL, someone you can always point your finger at. But it's ridiculous. But that's all I'm going to vent about on that topic. Once again, you're listening to the Spartan Red Zone. Thank you for tuning in again this week. Michigan State facing Purdue on Saturday. Hopefully it will end in another Spartan victory. I will be signing off now. Once again, I'm your host, Dan Tyler, telling you go green.